Our reading this morning is from Hebrews. We're reading in chapter 4, starting at verse 14, through to chapter 5, verse 10. If you're using a church Bible, it's on page 1204. Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself. But he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal for salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that by the work of your spirit in this place, you will be speaking to us from your word and through the words that I've uh, prepared, that we may hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. I'm sure you all recognize the words, and I've probably just put an earworm in your head. From the 1945 musical Carousel, but made perhaps uh, best known by Jerry and the Pacemakers. Beloved of football fans, uh, especially Liverpool, and uh, for many, 
it became a sort of secular anthem through the pandemic, with even Captain Sir Tom Moore recording a, a version of it. The strong strikes a chord because the picture of something, someone walking alongside you through everything that you're going through, everything you're experiencing, is a picture we instinctively recognize and long for. The desire for connection, support, company, empathy, friendship, love is written deep inside us. One of the tragedies we've experienced over the last couple of years is separation. Even now there are many who are struggling to reconnect, struggling to know that they'll never walk alone. Loneliness, even before the pandemic, was emerging as a major issue in our country and community. And today, as we've heard, we've been challenged by Simon Ponsomir as we look to be amazed by Jesus, to say, consider the Jesus who walks with us. The amazing truth is that Jesus can fulfill those deep longings that we have. It's Jesus who's able to be the companion that will never let us down. It's only in Jesus that we can be certain we will never walk alone. And we're going to examine this idea of Jesus walking with us through three concepts or lenses. Relationship, identification, and journey. Reminding ourselves what we're told in the biblical story about the God and about Jesus who walks beside us. We start with relationship. The Bible opens in a garden, a garden representing the whole world. In it, two humans, the whole of humanity, created by God, placed in and commissioned to the garden. There are many fundamental things that we learn from this story, who we are as humans, our relationship with the world around, the reality of why things are the way that they are. But the thing we want to pick out the story this morning is about how the creator God relates to his creation. In chapter 3 of Genesis, we have the story of the temptation of and the fall of humanity. There from verse 8 we read, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? It comes across here in the story that, that it's God's normal habitat. It's his usual custom to be walking in the garden of an evening. And it would seem to be expected that humanity joins him, walks beside him. The difference on this day is that they've hidden themselves from God. Even though God would have known the reasons, he still calls out to them. Where are you? From this very first story of the Bible, we read of a created God who seeks to be in relationship with those he has created in his image. Not that God needs something from, from creation, but because God wants to share his love, share himself with creation. It's humanity that turns 
from God. And even though God walks them out of that perfect garden, where the separation caused by sin and rejection is there visualized for them by this, this flaming sword which appears at the entrance, a barrier in place. Even so, the idea of God walking with humanity, being in relationship with us, carries on. Just a few chapters later in Genesis, we're told of the descendants of Adam and Eve. And there there's the story of Enoch, who walked faithfully with God and, and then was no more because God took him away. Such a close relationship there, just in those few words. A man who literally walked off into the sunset. Abraham is called from his land to journey with God. To go walking, he and his descendants live as wanderers in the land. Out of Abraham's descendants comes a people who God calls out of Egypt to journey to the promised land. And there, as we've already heard, he establishes this relationship between him and the people as he says, I will walk among you and be your God. And you will be my people. God will walk with them in relationship, these people. And even when the people of Israel go against God with the golden calf, God pleads, uh, Moses pleads on behalf of the people. And there he says, well, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. It's as if Moses is saying, God, if you're not working with us, then there's no point in us going anywhere. No, if you're not there alongside us, Moses says, then, then actually... It's worthless. God is a God of relationship who walks in relationship with people. And that relationship is the one we need above all else. And it's kind of easy for us to have this idea from the Old Testament wash over us. Since, since we and indeed all around us in society were soaked in this story. We're soaked in this idea of the God of relationship. Were you to ask anybody in the street, they'd say, well, of course God loves us. But actually for the nations surrounding Israel at that time, gods were things to be placated and pleaded with. You needed to attract the attention of a god or perhaps sometimes actually divert a god's attention away from something. They were capricious and could be wild. Elijah on the Mount of Carmel taunts the priests of Baal. He says, shout louder, surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. That is much more of the attitude that people had. Yet, the creator God we read of in the Bible, our creator God from the garden, the God of Enoch and Abraham, the God of Israel is a God that wants to walk in relationship with his people. Even as Israel turns against God, the picture's not of an absent God who just abandons them, but of a jilted lover who won't give up on the relationship. We turn to our second idea, identification. You know, if you were to say to uh, someone or have someone say to, to, to yourself, you should walk a mile in my shoes, we know we're not talking about comparing footwear. 
No, they're calling us to see the world from their perspective, given their place and experiences, given the journey life has taken them on. They're asking us to put ourselves in their position so that we may know them better. Despite all we said uh, about God being a God of relationship and God wanting to walk around us, sometimes walk with us, sometimes we get this idea that God is far from us, remote and distant. We might say, well, that's all very well, but God has not got, gone through what I've gone through. He may be looking in from afar, but, but what does he know about my life, my struggles? It's like saying, God... You walk a mile in my shoes. The Gospels provide us the story of how God did exactly that. As the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity is born into a poor Jewish family in an occupied country. The Creator enters creation. Jesus, fully God and fully human. Jesus literally walks the roads of this world. As we follow him in the Gospels on his ministry around Israel, you know, his main mode of transport is his own two feet. He experiences the life of the world. He grows up in a family. We're told, but we're not told, but um, we assume that he worked a job for a time. He partied at a wedding. He joined the crowds. He spent time with close friends. He went to synagogue and celebrated the festivals. He wept. At the grave of a friend. He was busy, in demand, went hungry, was tired. He was misunderstood, he was attacked, abused, and rejected. Ultimately, he was betrayed, falsely arrested, abandoned by all his close friends, condemned by an illegal court, tortured, murdered as the lowest of the low in society, dying the death of a slave. And there, As he hung nailed to a cross, he was abandoned by God. Why have you forsaken me? As the writer to the Hebrews in that passage says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. There's no other religion that makes this audacious claim. In some, yes, gods would appear as humans or animals for a time. But the Bible says that God became fully human, entered fully into the human experience. Why? Why did he do this? Well, that passage from Hebrews says it. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. God enters in, becomes human, becomes vulnerable, killable, so that we can have salvation, so that the barrier of sin from the garden can be dealt with, so we can have the relationship with God we should have had from the beginning. God identifies with us. He knows us through and through. He's been there. Whatever we're going through, whatever we're involved in, he knows. 
You know, the problem of suffering is a problem for everyone, a problem for all faiths and those who have none. It's tough even for us as Christians to get our head fully around it. But what we do know is that we have a God who's not abstract and remote from our suffering. We have a God who's been through suffering. We have a God who came and suffered and died for us. He knows it firsthand, personally. Whatever we go through, all the ups and downs, the joys and the tears, we have a God who's been there, a God who can identify with us, a God who has walked in our shoes. Thirdly, we come to journey. It's an oft-heard phrase, I've been on a journey. It's uh, now really a cliche, whether it be athletes reaching the podium, actors achieving an award, talent show contestants winning the prize. The experience is likened to a journey. They've started somewhere and they've come to a different place. And of course, uh, that picture, that, that analogy, extends to the rest of life. It's known only to specific events. Jesus, near the beginning of his public ministry, went to a group of fishermen and said, follow me. Later, he extended this same invitation to Levi, the tax collector, and others. He says, follow me. We're going on a journey. The word disciple means follower of a teacher. And Jesus was, was calling those first disciples to walk with him. In their case, actually walk beside him as he went about his ministry. But being a disciple was more than just being in the presence of that person. It's about putting yourself under the teaching of that person. It was apprenticing yourself to that person. So that what the teacher does, you do. What they say, you say. What they think becomes how you see the world. The disciple seeks to follow and become like the teacher. Paul, at the beginning of Ephesians 4, says uh, there, where he's, he's really at the heart of the book, and, he, and he's moving from talking about the wonders of the gospel and then how to, we, to live as gospel people. He says, therefore walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Live out lives in the truth of the gospel. Jesus has at one point in our lives, or, or perhaps actually for some here or listening online, he, he's saying to you right now, follow me. Become my disciple. Apprentice yourself to me. Walk with me. We walk as the writer of Hebrews encourages us, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We walk in his way, seeking his lead daily as we go about our lives. We walk in the reality of who we are as Jesus' disciples, the peoples of God, sons and daughters of the Most High. We walk, as the psalmist tell us, tells us, with the word of God as the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. We walk in close communication with him through prayer. We walk not knowing the route, but trusting Jesus along the way. We don't know what will be asked of us or where God may take us. We walk knowing that if we wander, if we stray, there's a route back. There is confession and realignment to Jesus. 
We walk in the community of others, all seeking together to live out as apprentices of Jesus. We walk knowing he's beside us. The Spirit is with us, strengthening and enabling our sometimes feeble steps as he brings us home. Have we responded to the call of Jesus on our lives to follow him? Do we still walk closely with him? Do we, is our journey at his side? The Bible tells us that we're created to be in relationship with God. Those first humans walking with God in the cool of the evening. God who didn't abandon us even as we abandoned and rejected him. Who entered into creation, became human. Walked the roads of this earth, experienced all that we do and more. Died for our sins, providing us a way back into relationship with God. This is the Jesus who calls us. This is the Jesus we can walk with and who walks beside us through this life. This is the one who is faithful to the very end and beyond. Even then, the best and the most faithful human friend cannot go with us through the door of death. But Jesus has been through death and emerged victorious, the first of those to be resurrected. The song, You'll Never Walk Alone, speaks to a deep hope and longing in our hearts. To be known, to be liked, to be loved. To have someone who will stick with us no matter what. Who will never abandon us. There's only one person who can bear the weight of all this longing. Who will never fail. Jesus, who walks with us. I didn't get this uh, hymn in in time, so I'm just going to read it. And there's a chance here for you to respond. Perhaps some today it's just in adoration and wonder. Perhaps others it's actually knowing that you've strayed and need to realize. Perhaps some it's for the first time. Jesus calls us all the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. Day by day, his voice invites me, saying, Christian, follow me. Jesus calls us from the worship of the, the vain world's golden store, from each idol that would keep us, saying, Christian, love me more. In our joys and in our sorrows, days of toil and hours of ease, still he calls in cares and pleasures, Christian, love me more than these. Jesus calls us in your mercy. Saviour, help us hear your call. Give our hearts to your obedience. Serve and love you best of all. Amen.